boy and girl are making out, right? When they hear over the radio that this lunatic killer's escaped from an insane asylum. That's not the way it goes. The boy goes for help, and the girl stays in the car, and she hears this, like, scratching sound. No, he's been decapitated. No, he was gutted with a hook. Oh, tell me, little Miss Prelaw, what's the charge for mad slaughter? Make a pact. Right here and now we take the sorry grave. What happened to my daughter? I mean, you went away and you don't call and you don't visit. Yeah, well, I've had a rough year. That's mail. Another thing today. Somebody sent this to me. Oh, my God. Someone knows. I know what you did last summer. Ooh. How do you know this is even late? You did a lot of things last summer. Yeah, well, only one murder. You shut the hell up! What if he's still alive? He's after me, too. I got a letter. I got run over. <laughs> Helen gets her hair chopped off. <laughs> Julie gets a body in a trunk. He got us now. Okay, this is exactly what he wants. We can't go to the police. Not now. He's made sure of that. Out there and he's watching us and waiting. What are you waiting for, huh? What are you waiting for? The year is 1997. Four friends, and I think North Carolina somewhere, celebrating the 4th of July, partying, having a good time, possibly engaging in some beach fornication. When they accidentally hit someone in the road. Little do they know that this person that they hit is not dead. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) For fear that their lives might be ruined, they might possibly go to jail or may not be able to go to their favorite college anymore. They decide to get rid of their little problem and then comes <laughs> a time jump, I believe, to a year later where the friends come back for the summer only to learn that one of the friends got a letter dun, 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 that says the title of the movie. I know what you did last summer! I feel like there should be like a, um, like a good, like a rock, like a, um, like a da-da-da-da! Like a like a poison like guitar riff like I know what you did last summer did it in like that. <laughs> now should it be like now? Are you talking just a guitar riff, or should there actually be like a rock song called "I Know What You Did Last Summer"? Oh, why didn't they do that? Like Dokken, you know. I mean, it was probably a decade too late, but still. No, because I I feel like this this book this movie came out in 1997, and I feel I feel like people. The film still did that. They still had, um, wait, when did, oh, Adam's Family did that, where they had. Oh, that was like 91, 92, something like that. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. That's super early. Yeah, you're right. Maybe it's like passe by 1990. (laughs) It's a missed opportunity. It could have been like, no, not Michael Bolton. Like, uh, oh, God, no. No, please, not Michael Bolton. Like, who? Ah! Well, the best we got was... uh, That's still kind of really... We did get a really neat version of Hush by, uh, is it Kula Shaker? So, you know, know, that was something. That's true. That's right. And I have totally interrupted your intro. I'm sorry. Unless you were ending on the guitar riff, which I actually think would be perfect. Yes, no, I I would love that. I would love just the the guitar riff, you know, the... I know what you did last summer! Okay, you know what? We're going to do that right now. I am going to (laughs) reach out. Uh, I'm breaking the fourth wall here. I am talking to Seth Bear right now, the editor. Seth, if you're listening, Ms. Jones is going to give the title, and then we need to do like a neat guitar riff. I'm not cutting any of this. This is all part of the intro, by the way. So, Ms. Jones, if you could, just give us that title one more time with that kind of energy, and then we are putting in a guitar riff right after. Okay. Ready in three, two, one. I know what you did last summer! Perfect.
Hello and welcome back to Scream Addicts. I'm Jinx, your host, and that was Tamika Jones talking about Jim Gillespie's 1997 slasher film, I Know What You Did Last Summer. Ms. Jones is an actor, writer, and longtime horror fan and dreams of one day playing a final girl. And she has chosen one of the films I have wanted to talk about most on this show, one of the best damn slasher movies ever made. A movie that may live in Scream shadow a little bit, but is surely far, far better than the likes of urban legend Ryan Larson. I Know What You Did Last Summer is a peak neo-slasher, and as far as I'm concerned it gets far too little love so miss jones number one thank you for being on the show number two thank you for choosing this particular film which i can't wait to talk about and three out of any horror movie you might have chosen any at all why go with this one? Oh well thank you for having me um this is already so much fun you let me do a guitar riff um <laughs> <laughs> uh, i picked this movie because for some i it's not for some reason I imprinted on this film so heavily. It was, it came out in the late nineties. I was uh, 14, 15 uh, at the time. And that was just like the peak time for teen, nineties teen horror movies. And I just, I just fell in love. I love Scream so much. And then this came out and it has Again, peak late 90s casting. I mean, Sarah Michelle Gellar, there's uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt, Ryan Philippe. It was just, it's just, ah, uh, I, I, there's so many things I could say about this movie. <laughs> well, we're going to try. We're going to try and pack them into the next hour because I think, like I said, I think this movie gets far too little love and we need to shine a light on it, which kind of blows my mind in a way because, uh, I don't know. We'll we'll definitely get to the movie's reception and current standing uh, later on in the show, I think. But, you know, I, I, as I've already gone on and on about, I really do love this film, too. You know, and as with you, you know, I was 16 when it came out. It hit at that perfect period when I was just, you know, kind of getting into horror films and Scream had just come out. And this movie was poised to be kind of the next big thing. And, you know, it wasn't quite the huge hit that Scream was, but to me, it felt like it nevertheless kind of set the template for the type of slick slasher movie we'd be getting for the next few years, even more so than Scream. You know, we had the WB cast, we had the slick production values, we had the angsty teen characters, and, you know, I mean, sure, Scream kind of did all that, but I know wasn't really super self-referential as far as slashers go. And, you know, that was kind of Scream's thing, and the slashers that followed suit seemed to prefer to stay, you know, fairly straightforward, at least as far as the storytelling went. And, uh... I don't know, because I was super into Fangoria at the time, I discovered in advance of the movie coming mm. out that it was based on a novel, a young adult novel by um, oh, uh, Lois Duncan, which I bought at my local Walden Books. I'm dating myself here. Uh, and, you know, I devoured that book. <laughs> I eventually, this, I miss you, Walden Books. Uh, you know, and I eventually discovered that the movie took several liberties with, you know, the, the story in the book, but I love them both all the same. And uh, anyway, I'm, I'm taking a long way around here to simply say, I do love this movie. You know, I love its style. I love its characters, its story, its dialogue, its soundtrack. I love that soundtrack. Uh, pretty much everything about it. You know, it, it's a top shelf slasher film through and through. And yet, yeah, well, we'll go ahead and talk about it a bit if you want. These days, it seems like it doesn't quite get the love that it once did back in the day. You know, people still love Scream. Uh, you know, other movies in that slasher cycle are getting these kind of fond reappraisals like uh, <laughs> Urban Legend and Valentine and, you know, movies of mm -hmm. that sort. And But it seems like I Know doesn't really command as much respect as it once did. I don't know if some of the listeners realize this, but as far as I'm concerned, back in the late 90s when it came out, this was considered one of the bigger slasher films to have hit. This is what really sort of... You know, if Scream got the ball rolling, you know, then uh, to completely mess up the metaphor, then I know we did last summer, grabbed that baton and kept running uh, right after. And then, of course, we had Scream 2 hit, hitting right after that. But now, you know, when I hop on the social media, it seems like, you know, it blows my mind, but it seems like people love I still know what you did last summer a bit more than the original, which is just heresy. But why do you think <laughs> that is? And would all of this change with a big collector's edition Blu-ray from Scream Factory, do you think? Well, I I don't know about that because then that means they would have to include I'll Always Know nope. What You Did Last Summer. And that movie exist. is just, it just is in the, what I call the I Don't Know Her category <laughs> um, with movies. I, I, I just, I, I don't know her. So I don't know. I don't want it to get bundled with the other two movies. Um but to oh, be a complete, we, we don't, we don't need a box. 
<laughs> no, no, no. You do not need a box set. No, it's separate. <laughs> that movie can sold separately. Um, like batteries. Um, although, I'm not gonna lie. I, 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 I wish I didn't. I, I, you know, it's it's the completest the collector mentality. Of course, I have to own it. Doesn't mean I'm ever gonna watch it again. But <laughs> oh, it pains me because. But then it would have to touch. Okay, so you you mentioned that people are starting to really love. I still know what you did last summer, and it's interesting because again, I feel I feel as though this movie is just so good and bizarre, and I just. And it it didn't get the love it deserved when it uh, was originally released, and it's just interesting now people finding it and loving it. It's got a young Jack Black, um, a, a pot a stoner Jack Black, Brandy. Talk about people at the height of their powers in the late nineties. Brandy, I, it, uh, it's so, that, so I, it it had a great. And I will say this about I still know, like I. I hated it when I saw it in theaters. Hated it. Hate walked out shaking my head. Hated it. Punched an usher on my way out and ran. Hated it. Mm. Um, but um, you know, I I apologize later. But um, no, it just it I everything that I liked about the first movie, you know, it, it seemed like they tried to pump it up too much for the second movie, and everything had to be overblown and kind of say, and honestly, what was going on with Jack Black there? Seriously, but you know, <laughs> I, I, I just, I, I hated it, and um, you know, I, I finally, I, I wrote this piece for uh, Bloody Discussing a couple of years back. Uh, I did this thing where I would <sighs> revisit movies that I'd once hated. To see if, you know, maybe maybe with some time and distance, you know, after the scars healed, maybe I could look back and find something, you know, worth watching in them. And, uh, you know, with some movies, like I still know, I actually found that, you know, I, I it was enjoyable. Uh, I did rewatch the Wicker Man remake and I hated it even more the second time around. But with I still know, I can at least appreciate why people find it fun. But come on, even at that, it's nothing on the original movie, not even a little true i mean even the the uh i think they were at the bahamas right they're in the bahamas that backdrop is so beautiful though but i I don't know yeah that's a good point i i I feel like i i feel like they're sort of tied (gasps) i know i know i know but because because you you still well, get it looks the, about still... it looks like our time is up. Ms. Jones, thank you so much for being on the show. Really appreciate it. So um, you know, where You're can folks find sorry. You can find me at Miss Tabika Jones on Twitter. <laughs> no, I, 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 I get it. I really do. I I do think in I still know's favor, I, I do think it is a gorgeous movie. You know, shot by Danny Cannon, the guy who did uh, Judge Dredd, which uh, you know, a lot of people hate that movie too, which I actually I enjoy it. Uh but he shoots he shoots a beautiful movie and it has a great cast. Not only do we have uh, Jack Black. What what was Jack Black doing in that movie? But we also know. have uh, we have Jeffrey Combs, we have Mackay Pfeiffer, yes. we have Jennifer Esposito. Uh, yes. have, uh, was a Bill Duke, I think, even so. I like it. it the movie had pedigree, but um, and it is fun. Uh, but I just, if I'm being honest here, I will never get over Will Benson. Will oh, Ben, ben Son, do you get it? Ben Son, Ben Son, Benson, <laughs> because I'm Ben's son. son? I'm son ben. <laughs> it's just. I, in my mind, I know it's not, but in my mind, that scene is five minutes long. Like, he just does this rambling Trump monologue about what his name means, just restating it over and over and over again. Benson. Benson. Ben's son. Person, man, woman, camera, TV. Camera, TV. Benson. Benson. You know? I just, oh, God, I hate that moment in the movie so bad. But I get it. I, I, I get why people like that movie. I really do. And and you get a spin, just like in the original, you get the... Oh, does she spin? I don't think she does. I think she, she no. Jennifer, oh, it, she, she does the... She does like uh, the dark shadows turn to camera dramatic facing scream thing. Like she does, she does a riff on it, but she doesn't yeah. do the full on. She like, doesn't do the full spin. There's no full spin, but it's just, oh, so good. 
So what? Okay. Now, so in that case, do you do you think I'm wrong then? And I'm completely. And please, please prove me wrong because I want to be. Uh, but yeah, just from my own personal experience online, it seems like not a lot of people love I know that much. And is your experience different, or do you find that people still kind of respect this movie, or maybe not that much, or, or I don't know what 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 has been your take on it? Uh, how fans, by and large, seem to uh, to take the I know. It's really interesting because the I. It's kind of an up and down experience for me anyway, because I remember when the movie first came out, it did so well. And I, I remember looking up how much it made um, before we started talking. And I think it made at least like $100 million or something like that. And then it just kind of fell off the radar. And I didn't hear anyone talking about it for a long stretch of time. And then so interesting about, I'd say like five months ago, I started seeing people on Twitter talking about it. And um, I don't know if you're familiar with this um, clothing brand, but they're called Cavity Colors. Yes, and, yeah, absolutely. And they put out, I, I know what you did last summer, uh, tees that one shirt and sweatpants. Is amazing. The painted image, oh my God. Yes, the hook. That is just the, I, 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 I forget who exactly, um, uh, illust- was behind the illustration for that for that shirt, um, for that design, I mean. But yeah, it's beautiful. And I was just so taken back by that. I thought, okay, wait, are people rediscovering this during the quarantine or something? Because it just, it, it's almost a good decade of no one talking about this movie and it kind of being seen as a joke, you know? Like, oh, you like, I know what you did last summer, you know? Ugh. And now people are talking about it. They're watching it with on like on Zoom parties. I saw the other day. Um, and no one invited me. I know me no either. Been flying the I know flag in secret. Admittedly, I don't know why they would have thought to 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 invite me, but still, it kind of hurts. No, no, you're very cool. They should have invited you. <laughs> we we need to put together a, a, a Zoom I know screening uh, in in. <gasps> Yeah, after after this podcast comes out, I yes, it yes. Deserves... <laughs> oh, I'm so, there. I gotta ask then, how does the film rank for you when it comes to not just uh, when it comes to the uh, the I know franchise? Uh, we okay, so I I do have to ask after we've talked the first two, we can at least both agree that the third movie is is a slight on humankind. It, yeah. It's an absolute trash fire, and I, you know, no offense because making movies, so I imagine, is very hard. I have, you know, been a part of the filmmaking process, and I know it's hard. But that movie, why, why, why does it exist? They made him a supernatural why? slasher like that. When you that alone, it just, uh, that movie. He just, I mean, he's basically a zombie, right? And yeah. he can just pop up wherever. I mean, he can just teleport. He's, <laughs> oh no, I would never compare him to Jason, but he can just basically teleport in that film. I wonder if that's what they wanted to do with the third film, if they wanted to turn him into a Jason Voorhees that are like, look, you know, and I mean, Jason Voorhees can pull that off. I mean, that man slash child has run the gamut in that franchise. You know, he 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 was a ghost. He was a little boy. He was a... Uh, he was a mountain man type. He was a uh, run-of-the-mill slasher. He was a zombie. Uh, he there was an imposter at one point. Uh, what 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 else has Jason been? He went to space and became like a cyborg. Uh, he went to know, hell. He went to <laughs> hell. Uh, he he became John Rambo in the remake. It was weird. You know, he's gone all over the place. But it's like, look, Jason Voorhees can do that. You know, he they they set that up right. You know, with I know what he did last summer, there was no reason in the third film for him to be like, I don't know, some sort of weird zombie attached to his hook. It's it, oh god, my head hurts. I and I then just, oh. the, the I think the town was set in Colorado. Yes, or somewhere <laughs> like that. I mean. The point of this, this killer is that he has a hook because he's a fisher. He was a fisherman, and he, you know, fit, he ran the boats. And the original film, they're from the sea the sea seaside town. Um, and I mean that makes sense. But if they live in Colorado, where there's no, I get I, that I saw in that movie near any sort of body of water, then 
what is the point? What is the point? And he has no connection to those those kids at all. <laughs> I, I the only thing I can think of in Colorado is maybe ice fishing, which you know what that. that... <laughs> The, the the visual that that gives is amazing, but um, oh god, yeah, that movie is just terrible. I'm sorry, I I, I tend to go off on films, especially when we get into franchises. But I know what you did last summer. Franchise aside, you know that first movie. How does it rank for you when it comes to those sort of late '90s, early aughts, you know, uh, post Scream slashers? How does it stack up for you against uh, against Scream and uh, Urban Legend and the like? Oh, it's really high. I mean. It's certainly not above screen. Um, it's interesting because didn't Kevin Williamson write um, the script for the first he, I Know What You Did Last Summer? He did. So he wrote Scream. He wrote I Don't Know What You Did Last Summer. He wrote Scream 2. He wrote, uh, oh, The Faculty. He wrote, um, oh, why am I blanking on his stuff right now? He wrote uh, Killing Mrs. Tingle, which became Teaching Mrs. Tingle, which he also directed. He sadly did not write the third Scream film, and then eventually he got caught up in sort of the television machine, uh, which bums me out because I love his movies so much, even the ones that he night. You know, uh, the, some people don't, but uh, yeah, yeah. So we had kind of like this one, two, three punch in the course of a year of Kevin Williamson slashers with uh, nice. Scream, I know, and Scream too. It was a good time to be a fan of those movies, and certainly that guy. He was a hero of mine when I was growing up. So, oh, absolutely, and um, Halloween again, another teen horror favorite. Kids, Halloween H two O. I love that movie so much. I and that's another movie too. Like when that came out, I remember being on message boards. Um, again, dating myself, uh, but I remember being on horror movie message boards, and that movie being huge. Like everybody was all about Halloween H two O. Now, like somebody in the wake of Halloween twenty eighteen coming out, everyone is like pissing on Halloween H two O. And I'm like, come on! Like, it. I still love that movie. It's, I know. I do too. Always and forever. <laughs> Halloween H2O, always and forever. But no, um, it's it's Scream. I, I know a lot of people that are younger. I hear a lot of them say that they don't really like the movie. They think it's too funny. It's not scary enough. <gasps> I know. Blasphemy. It hurts. It hurts me. But I, you know, listen, that's okay. They can feel that way. But for me, Scream no. will always be at the top. <laughs> and then we have I Know What You Did Last Summer. <laughs> because... <laughs> It's just so good. And I think I also, you know, like I had a crush on Freddie Prince Jr. at the time, you know, I had a poster. It was a, you know, it was a whole thing. Uh, <laughs> um, so I, uh, and uh, it's interesting that you brought up the faculty because I absolutely will defend that movie to the bitter end. <laughs> same, same. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, he, again, like Kevin Williamson's late nineties run is just untouchable to me. Like if, if that guy wrote it, if he had any sort of hand in it, I love it. Full stop. Like with no apologies given whatsoever. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then, because I, I feel, I feel as though teen horror definitely, well, for me dropped off. It's, by the time we get to the early 2000s, a lot of remakes were happening, like the House of Wax and uh, uh, that last house on the left. Although, yeah, that was remade, I believe, around that time. But that's not what I was thinking of. Um, what's the other one? I think um, we had, when that turn really started to happen, I know we had, you know, after Scream, we sort of had the... Uh, you know, the Neo Slasher cycle. And then we had the kind of J-horror, you know, um, oh, trend, yes. which led to a lot of J-horror remakes. And then yes. we kind of had, you know, it's weird, like the remake cycle and the um, and the torture porn cycle kind of coincide. I mean, we had Psycho remade in 98 and then Texas Chainsaw in 03. And then around like 05, 06, 07, like at that point, it's like the doors were knocked down. You know, if you can remake those two movies, you can remake anything. Eventually, you know, Halloween in 2007. And, you know, we had the, uh, the Dark Castle movies. Of course. Oh, we had Dark Castle, too. We had those movies in the late 90s, too, which I absolutely adored. We had the one-two punch of uh, House on Haunted Hill and 13 mm -hmm. Ghosts, which I love. Yes. And, uh, and Ghost Ship. And um, oh, what came out? Um, there was also. And you also had the Final Destinations. 
Yes, yeah, absolutely. Which, in their own way, those were kind of, in a way, like they felt like an extension of Scream in that, you know, kind of like WB casts, you know, or WB friendly casts anyway. And, you know, uh, they were kind of slasher movies in a way, but, you know, they were just so damn creative about it that I, I look past it because I love that franchise, uh, with the exception of number four. <clears throat> number four is terrible. Okay. <laughs> I love how you slid that in there. It's, and I then mean, I, you know, it's, it's the I'll always know we did last summer of that franchise. You know, it has to be said. And then there's Wrong Turn, which yes. maybe sometime we could talk about that uh, on another podcast. We could talk about Wrong Turn, my love for that movie. Mm. <laughs> It's a great one. I did, you know, yeah. I mean, there's something to be said to like, uh, you know, there were the slashers, there was a J horror, there were the remakes, uh, there was the torture porn run, but kind of slipped in there somewhere. were also like the seventies throwback movies. We had like cabin fever. We had a uh, house of a thousand corpses. We had wrong turn. Uh, we had, you know, I, uh, arguably high tension, although I think high tension kicked off at a completely different run of, you know, mm-hmm. uh, French extreme horror films, which I absolutely adore. But, um, yeah, but yeah, same, same. yeah, I, but you know, and looking at, I know though, even though, and I'm so glad that you do like it as much as you do, but I, and I did say, I love the movie and I mean it, but that doesn't mean that I don't have some issues with it. And I was wondering, you know, when we look at the nineties, we have this amazing film with a hook-handed killer that takes a really insightful look at urban legends. And I love Candyman. I do. It's a masterpiece. I know oh, what yeah. you did last summer, though. You know, we have a hook-handed killer. We have an opening act that takes a moment to really meditate on urban legends and modern folklore. And then it kind of drops it. You know, and this, the movie story works fine without any further exploration, but were you ever kind of disappointed as a viewer that that subject isn't sort of delved into further, given the, given the fact that it was set up in the first place and the kind of the setting and the trappings of the story? Oh, for sure. I mean, I, I can definitely admit that despite I, how much I love this movie, um, there's a lot of uh, issues that I have with it, and that's definitely one of them. I have... Uh, I'll, I'll say... I'll say a strong three. <laughs> it's a strong three issues that I have with the movie. Um, and it's, it, I think when I was a teenager, I didn't mind it so much because I was a teenager and I just, you know, I thought I was just so, I guess, enthralled by the cast and how pretty the film is uh, and, how, and just the scares that, I, you know, I didn't really think so much about the storyline or you know plot holes or things that don't really make sense or things that that get dropped but seeing as though I've seen it a good like say 100 times (laughs) just that's that is just me being generous I'm pretty sure I've seen your fandom might there's no might to it your fandom definitely eclipses mine then because as much as I love the movie (laughs) I have I probably top out at about 30 here, maybe 40. Oh, I don't know. okay. Am I really okay. even a fan at okay. this point? I, yes, you are. Yes, I feel like you, you should are. be you should be hanging up on me at this point. <laughs> no, no, no. I even, I watched it today. I watched it earlier. <laughs> I did too. I did too. I uh you know, I always like this is the one movie I feel like I didn't really have to revisit in advance of a podcast chat, but I did anyway, just because that's what I always do. And, you know, it, it still holds up for me. But I got to ask, you mentioned you have three major issues with the movie. What are your can you count them down to like, you know, to the least offensive to most offensive? What are your three major issues with the film? Well, I would definitely say that I've definitely let down by the setup of like a this mythology but there's no sort of payoff in any way and then that kind of leads into my second offense because <laughs> they're related um this weird kind of i guess what would be the word for that um uh not mcguffin uh what's the other one like a a red herring right because you oh, yeah. obviously are trying to figure out, you know, is it is, you know, Ben Willis really dead or is it one of the friends, you know, doing it? And there's a lot of finger pointing going on. 
And there was definitely uh, a moment where you're supposed to think that Ray, Freddie Prince Jr.'s character, um, is behind it because he, you know, he's a fisherman and his father is a fisherman and he has a slicker. And they kind of do the towards the end. I hope it's okay because I try, even though I know the movie's older, I try not to give the ending away. But it's not, I mean, it's oh, not, no, no. Uh, it's not I, the total end. It is, it is. We have to dive into spoilers, I think. And it is 23 years old. So I figure at this point we're probably good. But, you know, fair point. If anyone is listening to this show and you have not seen I Know What You Did Last Summer, spoiler alert from this point on. And I'll just stop the show. Go and watch it. It's a great movie, no matter what you've heard on Twitter. Uh, and then come back. Because <laughs> we may, we're, we're definitely going to be diving into spoilers, I think. <laughs> Yeah, I just thought about that. I was like, well, that's kind of towards the end of the movie, but not, it's not the total end. So, but um, we get this reveal that uh, Ray's boat is called Billy Blue, right? Because uh, Julie and Helen think that the person they hit is some other guy named David e- Ian or Egan. Uh, Egan. Um, yeah. Egan, right, right. So they visit his sister and because they think that, you know, they're just trying to find out more information about him. And uh, the sister, played by Anne Heche, speaking of Psycho, 1998, um, she, uh, by the way, she was so creepy. She was so pleasantly good. I really enjoyed her. She came out of nowhere for me. Okay, interesting. Another another great cast member. They could have cast anybody in that role, but they cast Anne Heche, and she came in and killed it. She did. She was so good and menacing. Um, but uh, so they learned that. Um, yeah. So David Egan. So um, I totally, absolutely like that. My point just totally slipped out of my mind for a second there. Oh, uh, my, the, uh, yeah. We were talking about the uh, the red herrings. My, my apologies on that. No, you're um, good. <laughs> so she she mentions that someone came by. Um, before them and his name was Billy Blue and so when Julie sees Ray's boat and it's called Billy Blue she thinks that you know Ray tried to you know like hurt this woman or maybe try to find out something about David because maybe he was doing some investigation uh, investigative work and so she thinks that it's him and I I I feel I feel like up until, I would say a good, the accusation that maybe it was Ray comes up about halfway, maybe the halfway mark of the movie, then gets completely dropped. And now we're supposed to be invested in it being Ray, maybe towards the end of the movie, where we have like 10 minutes to go. I, <laughs> it, it, I, that frustrated me to no end. And then there was the my main issue this convoluted uh part of the plot right where we're supposed to that so ben okay so ben killed david egan because of what because he because of what what was the motivation behind that so he so he killed david and then the kids the, the kids think that they killed David? Wait, wait, wait. See, that's what I'm saying. Like, I've seen this movie so many times, and I'm still confused on like wh- the order of things. Like, wh- yeah, the best uh, what I as best I can figure is that Ben Willis killed David Egan to avenge his daughter's death. He blamed David for Susie's death. Susie, so, Susie. Okay. On okay. his way, but which uh, funny little Easter egg thing, like near the end, is you can tell that um, Ben Willis's boat is um, uh, called Susie's something or other, and uh, so yeah, so David Egan's body washes up on shore. So after they actually hit Ben Willis and toss him into the water, eventually there's the notice that this guy has washed up on the beach, and his name is David Egan, so of course they think that that's who they killed. And uh, so that's where the bulk of the investigation comes in, until there's the big reveal at the end where it turns out, nope, they didn't actually kill him at all, you know. 
Uh, it's not a friend doing this. It's a guy that they actually hit. They just hit somebody completely different from who they thought. Um, which, in a way, I mean, my God, what a coincidence. Ben Willis had a hell of a night that evening on July 4th. Right? 1996. <laughs> right? He, he kills a person and then gets hit and left for dead. Which, like, you know, instant Only... karma. But, um... True. <laughs> instant karma. <laughs> I mean, he, he had it coming. Um, that's why, you know, it, it, that's one of the things that kind of like, it doesn't bug me. It kind of humors me in a way that he's so like righteously angry about the fact these kids hit him with a car and dumped him. But it's like, dude, you, you did the exact same thing. Not 10 minutes before. Come on. Right. Like, right. Just, glass house throwing stones. You know, it's just, come on. But, uh, yeah, yeah it's funny. That's a good point. <laughs> I mean, he never even considers that. Nobody calls him out on it either. I mean, you know, they were running from him because he was swinging a hook at them. But still, if they could have made that point, you know, maybe they could have stopped him dead in his tracks and he might have considered some, you know, making some life choices. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> but you mentioned red herrings, and that actually kind of ties into one of my issues with the movie, too, which is, yeah, there's only really one that strikes me more and more with every viewing, other than the fact, okay, I guess I should say two things bug me. Number one. It's one thing to stow a dead body in the back of somebody's trunk and to be able to spirit it away, like in broad daylight in a neighborhood, like in a slicker, presumably, you know, with everybody else. But he also filled the trunk full of crabs. Crabs. Julie was gone for all of 90 seconds. How many times did that man practice the old hide the body and the crabs? Thing to clear that trunk out before she gets back, just for the sole purpose of making her look crazy. It's like, dude, you're you're putting in a lot of effort here. Um, I don't quite know the point either on his boat of like Julie discovering um, all of the photos he had taken of them throughout the town. It's like, dude, once you know, I had under, I would have understood if this was like recon as he was trying to figure out whether or not these kids were the ones who who did it. But you know, by the time he starts sending the messages. Do you do you really need to take photos of Helen at the at the at the fair? Do you need to take photos of like Barry and Julie having a conversation? Like really, you know, it's just it's kind of creepy. Um, but but the main <laughs> thing, I think Max's death, at least where it is, is a mistake. And I get, I think they even talk about it in the director's commentary on the DVD. But I get why they would want a big death early on in the film. You know, it's a slasher movie. They want a bloody set piece early on to remind you that, hey, this is a horror film. I get that. But I really wonder if it wouldn't be a stronger film if the fisherman had simply just menaced the kids until the final act. You know, that way we wouldn't be entirely sure of his motives or what he's going to do. Max could still be out there as a red herring, which they so obviously set him up as in the first act. And if Barry were the first real casualty in the film in the final 20 minutes, I think it would have hit much harder than it does. And, you know, the way it is, Max's death, it kind of weakens the film for me. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I may be nitpicking here, but do you, have any, do you have any issues with that sequence in the same way, or am I just being silly? No, no, I don't think you're nitpicking. I, I, I see both sides. I see that, you know, that you want to engage the audience early on. You know, you want to establish that Ben is serious, like he will kill someone, you know? Um, and it's so bloody and kind of good. <laughs> oh yeah, you no, know? it's, yeah, it's very- Oh, the hook to the face, ah! And then he drags him over the, whatever that was, those metal bins or whatever, the- uh, Yeah, and like the, the swath of blood that it leaves when he pulls him over, oh, it's like, oh, it? oh, so good. So it's like, yeah. But it he, he, kills, he kills Max. He kills a cop. He kills Helen's sister. It's like, dude, you're you're going a little overboard here with your vengeance. Like, you know, it, it would have been bad enough had you focused on these kids, you know, having done something pretty horrible, but also dumb. But now you're just going to kill everybody. It's like he's the Terminator. You know, Fair. not not only is he like laser focused on the people who's going to get the, the 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 brunt of his vengeance, but, you know, anybody, not even people who are in his way. Literally anybody who's even remotely around him at the time, he's going to hook. That just seems, it's unfair. Fisherman's kind of a dick. Um, <laughs> he is. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I hear you. I, you, you are seen. I see you. 
and I understand because no, you're making really good points that honestly I hadn't really thought of before. He he is a hypocrite. Like, wait, you you killed someone. I think the reason why I never picked up on that really is because I was just so confused by this that part of the storyline. Like, wait, so who killed David Egan? Wait, 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 stop. How does he work into this again? Um, so no, that, that's a good point. Like, how can you be this hell bent on vengeance when you literally did this to someone else 10 minutes ago, 10, 10 minutes prior? It's a pot kettle fisherman. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, but I will say like, you know, he, even that, though that does get a little like convoluted in the end and it's a little dodgy. I think, you know, there are some parts of the movie that are really cleverly written you know it, mm-hmm. i think it works as kind of a sharp whodunit at times you know it's a tense thriller it's a shocking slasher film but also like a lot of its set pieces are so very well crafted you know the, the scene where the fisherman goes into the water and snags helen's um what was that like her crown or yeah like, her like it was like a seashell crown or something yeah like that's you know they never dwell on that exactly but that totally explains how he would even know how to find these kids in the first place a year later. You know, she was the croaker queen. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he he knows how to get to Helen by cutting her hair off because he was in the room overhearing her sister talking about how much she cares about her hair. And, you know, we have the Billy Blue subplot and how much fun it is on follow-up viewings to watch Ray squirm every time Billy Blue was brought up. You know, and I, mm-hmm. I think for the most part that it's a pretty well-crafted slasher script and rewatching the film only serves to remind me why, again, why Kevin Williamson was a hero to teenage me back in the day, you know, and I don't know. How, how does his work here rank for you? Like when it comes to that golden run of films that he had back in the late nineties, we had scream. I know scream Two, the faculty, uh, again, Halloween H2O teaching Mrs. Tingle. Like, Obviously, it's hard to top Scream, but when it comes to like Scream Two and the others, what do you think? Does do you prefer I Know to the Faculty? Would you say? Oh, absolutely. I I prefer I Still Know to the Faculty, and I love <gasps> the Faculty, and I love that movie. I love it. I know. I know. Don't hang up. I I feel it coming. Somewhere Don't Elijah Wood is me. twitching. I'm so sorry. No, but I love. He doesn't even John... know why, but he is. I I mean, John Stewart is a science teacher. Bomka Johnson, Jensen, Johnson, Jansen, I think it's Janssen. Chingra. Yeah. It's so, oh, I love that movie, but absolutely <laughs> no. It, it's, it's definitely, I still know. I mean, I know, I still know the faculty. I have a lot of issues with Scream 2. I, I don't hate it. I, I don't hate it. I, re- I really don't. But I definitely have my issues with Scream 2. There are some and... people that prefer Scream 2 to Scream. Interesting. None of them are friends of mine. But I mean, okay. you know, as I understand it, they're out there. I don't get it. I Oh, oh wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they might be. They're just, they, they would know better than to tell me. Um, I, no, wow. No, I... Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm like really I'm kidding. Stuck. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Um, Scream, uh, Scream 3. I shouldn't have made that noise while I'm doing a podcast. I apologize. No, no, no. Scream 3 is dicey. It's not as bad as people say it is, but it's, it's dicey. I'll give them that. And then 4, I love so much. So I would say, I, I know, I still know the faculty scream wait did kevin kevin it was behind scream four correct uh scream four yes i think he only wrote he has like a story by credit on scream three but um yeah and then he wrote and directed teaching mrs tingle he wrote the treatment i think for halloween h2o even though he's only credited as the executive producer and then uh and then we have cursed we have that debacle which uh, I think, weirdly enough, I, I mentioned Ryan Larson earlier. He actually came on the show and talked about Cursed and kind of won me over on it. I think that movie is probably more fun than I gave it credit for back when it first came out. But um, but it, but still, it sounds like they the anyone involved in the making of that movie kind of went through hell during it. <laughs> oh, it's unfortunate because I, I too really enjoy it. You know, I mean, 
Christina, is it Christina Ricci? Yes. I always yeah. want to make sure that I pronounce for some reason, like not for some reason, because I mean, it's their name should be pronounced correctly, but I don't know. I'm such a stickler for that. Like, wait, is it Christina Ricci? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, no, I, I, again, I, I get why that movie wasn't re- well received at the time. Um, but no, I, I really enjoy it. Ugh, where would I put that? Oh. So where was I with the screams? Scream, then scream <laughs> four. They were gonna do two because uh, Timothy Oliphant, 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 and then cursed, and then we'll do. TJ was just tingle. Oh, and then we're gonna do <laughs> scream three. Oh, screen three to okay, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. You know, and I, I did mention too, like I, I gave Kevin Williamson a lot of credit for those set pieces, but you know, it also took a hell of a director to pull them off, you know, especially the Helen chase sequence, which I think honestly is oh. a slasher film all timer as far as I'm concerned. Beautiful. Like Jim Jim Gillespie, hats off to him. He directed the hell out of this movie. It's gorgeous, mm-hmm. it's intense, it's scary, it boasts uh, strong performances. You know, and I think in a perfect world, his filmography might have followed a bit of kind of like a, I don't know, like a John Carpenter trajectory in the next decade of his work. But instead, mm-hmm. you know, it's been 23 years since I know what you did last summer. He's only directed three follow-ups. You know, there was a Stallone movie. Um, uh, was called uh, Detox. Uh, there was a supernatural horror film called Venom, which is not the Marvel movie. And there's a film called... Um, I looked it up earlier, Billionaire Ransom, uh, which I have not seen, you know, but it's just, it's a damn shame that he hasn't done more. And it's also a bit mind boggling too. The guy is so talented. Oh, I agree. I think, you know, maybe he wanted a change. He thought, you know, I mean, how can I top that? How do I top scream? (laughs) I'm sure he can, you know, but maybe he just thought, you know, listen, I did a lot of really great things. I achieved a lot of, you know. He dropped uh, the mic with I know. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I achieved everything I wanted in the horror genre. Let me go make some television or just let me chill on an island somewhere. Yeah, I'm not entirely that. sure. I'm not sure. Hmm. <laughs> and plus, you know, I, again, just sort of throwing as much praise at the movie as I can. Like the fisherman himself that is one of the simplest but also i think one of the best designs for a slasher villain and it's a shame that to me he really doesn't seem to be considered all that iconic and you know i wonder why like again you know we've talked about the movie's reception but there are dodgier movies out there that still have iconic slasher villains in them that people love and that there are toys of damn it you know and i want to me personally i think it's probably the diminishing returns that come with the sequels you know that's kind of what's to blame uh, for me anyway that's what i imagine it to be but i don't know am i wrong you know do you think do you think maybe his look isn't really all that indelible because i think he's such a cool looking character but again you know where where's the love for that design you know where you you don't see many fishermen at halloween parties there there is no there's no neca fisherman toy you know with uh with a sort of hook accessory, which is just a damn shame. I agree with that. It's it's funny that you mentioned uh, his design because when I was rewatching this movie, I th- I said that there's the really cool moment. Um, there's another really great chase that involves um, Barry, and he's uh, yes. coming from the gym, and the fisherman uh, chases him with his own car and. It's such a great, it's such, it, there's so much tension that builds up before that, e- that scene even happens when uh, Barry's in the shower, he comes out of the shower, and then it just ramps up, ramps up, and it ends so well. And there's a really cool shot where it's from Barry's perspective, right? Because he's on the ground, he's looking up. And so he sees the fisherman, but, you know, he's facing... It's kind of hard to describe this <laughs> for for everyone listening, but like he's standing over. So the, the fisherman is standing over Barry. So the shot is from 
it wouldn't be from his head. It, it's from his shoulders down instead of it being the other way. If that makes sense. I feel I feel like that doesn't make sense. No, no, like, it totally does. Oh, it, it does. But then again, we just watched the movie, so <laughs> true. That is true. But it's it's such a distorting shot, and it just looks so cool for the you know to to shoot it that way to shoot it from Barry's perspective instead of it being from the fisherman's perspective looking down you know um and i i said wow like the slicker looks so cool and it buttons all the way up to the top so it covers up his face and then the two buttons you know kind of look like his eyes and then he has this big you know floppy hat on black hat on and he just looks so cool and foreboding and then you you brought that up, and I agree. I think he looks so cool, and it's interesting how, yeah, he he's not as iconic as some of the other killers. And I mean, a, a hook like the fisherman hook—that's scary, you know. Um, I I don't know. I mean, Ghostface. I don't really see that many Ghostface killers either really at halloween parties or trick-or-treating yeah not so much anymore you're right although he does he does have a couple of toys out there so at least he's got one up on the fisherman there (laughs) yeah that's true he at least has a toy that's true yeah you mentioned barry too and it reminds me like he there's a guy who probably shouldn't even be in that town still and shouldn't have been by his own plans anyone you know it reminded me especially on this rewatch something that hit me that I, I love the fact that tucked within this whodunit story of slashery revenge, we have this look at sort of the dashed dreams of teenagers mm-hmm. going out into the real world and getting chewed up and spit out by it. You know, in this in this small town, we have this small group that have these big plans and they're kind of the royalty of that place. And then... Mm-hmm. Real life hits. You know, Ray becomes a fisherman. Uh, Helen doesn't make it in New York and now works in her sister's department store. Julie's a wreck. Uh, Barry is hardly a star college athlete, you know, and a lot of that stuff really sort of seems to ring true. You know, when everybody graduates, and I'm talking everybody, you know, there's there's kind of that feeling that we're all the kings and queens of the world, that anything's possible, but you know, it doesn't always work out that way, you know, for Mm -hmm. us or for our friends or our classmates. And, you know, in this film our heroes are kind of given a pass because we assume that their failures are all linked to what happened that summer and their guilt. But I don't know. Do you think that's what it was? Or do you think they always would have wound up where they eventually did? Ooh, that's a really good question because I definitely chalked it up to what happened because I, I mean, they were such a close, you know, tight knit circle. And then Uh, The accident happens and it just, you see it rip them apart from the moment it happens. You know, the Julie and Ray are so loving and sweet. They just go from making love on the beach to hitting someone. And now you can just see the fracture just happen between them, you know, especially when he decides to go along with the plan of dumping Ben's body you know you look at Julie like the look on her face and you just see it in that moment she's like yep this is this isn't gonna be the same ever again you know and then he doesn't protect her at all yeah it's so true god it it, you know I (laughs) it's part of as much as I love it like the scary movie franchise has also kind of ruined the movies that that it parodies because in the back of my mind, I always say, for example, when, the, whenever I watch, I know what you did last summer in my mind, in that moment, when they find the boot, even though I'm watching the movie, even though I'm invested in the movie, in the back of my mind, I hear Shannon Elizabeth's parody character from scary movie saying, Oh my God, we hit a boot. <laughs> you know? Yes. And I remember like the, you know, the, the riffing on the, uh, the Ray, Julie Barry thing is like, I, I think in scary movie, he's literally beating her with his fists and the Ray equivalent is just like, Hey, come on, come on, stop. Come on. Yeah. Come on. Just if you could no, get, you know, like he's so ineffectual mm-hmm. and it's like, yeah, no, that's totally how Ray is in this movie. Like he does not protect his girlfriend at all. At all. No, no. And I mean, I, I get why that would just end a relationship. You know, I totally, I, I, it, not only breaks up the relationships, but the friendships too, because 
they all, you know, the, the ones who go to college or wherever, New York, you know, uh, they go away and they just, they don't talk, they don't hang out. And it's not until they come back to that town for the summer, for summer break that, you know, and then Julie gets the letter, that letter that they come back together. So if the letter had never, if that had never happened, they wouldn't have, I don't think they would have ever seen each other again. This, if none of this had ever happened, if Ben didn't come back for revenge, I don't think they would have ever been friends again. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. I think you're entirely right. He, in his own way, the fisherman brought people together. <laughs> it's kind of he, he deserves something. You know? Yeah. <laughs> that the the pageant. Oh, by the way, oh the pageant scenes. I mean, come on, you have to love those. Yeah. Oh, the, it's, the... it's so beautiful, especially the um, the end of the. Well, I mean, obviously there's the daytime stuff, but. Even the night when they, which, by the way, how long is that damn parade? Uh, you know, it, it seems to go on for hours. <laughs> but the end of the Helen Chase scene, which I think is so tragic because, um, not for nothing, like this is, even though Helen is kind of a vapid character at the very beginning, she's the one to me that seems to be the most affected in a weird way. And in a strange way, like I know Julie is our hero. I kind of feel for Helen more throughout the movie and it kills me every time she's murdered in the alleyway because I think she's the one who probably she's probably the one who felt the most guilt even though like to me she's the one throughout the the story saying like oh my god it was just an accident it was just an accident it was just an accident when there are those moments with her alone like you see that she's destroyed like Mm -hmm. she I think she feels it more than anybody and um the fact that like she is kind of cut down just as she was kind of, I think she was kind of growing from it. Maybe I'm reading far too much into it, but like I, I, in a weird way, I think she kind of by the end took more ownership of what they had done. If only by virtue of the fact that the guilt had obviously destroyed her, you know, because I mean, when we look at Julie, like Julie doesn't comb her hair and she has dark circles under her eyes. That's pretty much, the extent <laughs> of guilt, you know, uh, it's true. Like she, uh, but, and, and not for nothing, like the end of it, that, that's another thing I wanted to mention to you as a fan, somebody who's seen this a hundred times. Um, I feel so inadequate now. So I know what you did. Last summer, don't, fan. Don't, I, don't, I'm just, don't, don't. just once a day, once a day from here on out until I catch once up. Once a day. You yep, can I'm going to start, going to start logging in on Twitter, but there are two things that struck me with this particular rewatch. As many times as I've seen it, there were two things that really stuck out that I'd never considered before. And one is that, you know, I was talking about Helen a second ago that makes me think about Ray and Julie. Here they are. They're being haunted by the fact that they didn't take responsibility for what they had done throughout the course of the entire movie. And that destroyed all of their lives that killed their friends. And they finally get to the end of the movie and the cop asks them, do you have any idea why this guy would be trying to kill you? Now they just, they don't owe Ben Willis a thing at this point. You know, you, you hook a couple of their friends, try to kill them on a boat. At that point, the slate is wiped clean. I get that, but they still take no responsibility for what they did. There is no growth for those characters whatsoever. And I'm wondering, it, you know, it's kind of their karmic fault that he even shows up in a sequel, I think. Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, none of them. Barry, it's interesting that you you thought that Helen felt sorry. I mean, I, I think they all felt sorry to varying degrees. I, th- I don't think anyone really, like, you know, felt sorry enough to go to the police. Because oh, God, they don't. No, no, no. <laughs> No, nobody, I don't think anybody takes responsibility. I just think out of all of the characters, and this is probably me reading too much into it. I think anybody, I could not argue against somebody saying, hey, look, Helen was just as vapid in the end as she was in the beginning. It's just, but her dreams didn't come true. Full stop, that's it. And I couldn't argue that. But, you know, there's something about watching her, especially when she's alone in her house, especially like uh, those quiet moments, like that moment where she kind of reaches out to Julie and talks about why they aren't friends anymore. Like that to me goes beyond the fact that, you know, it didn't work out in New York. You know, like there is there is something kind of broken in her. And I think in an unspoken way, it has to go to the guilt that she feels. You know, she Mm. she was dating the guy 
whose car it was. He, she was dating the guy who was drinking. She was dating the guy who was like the bully who bullied everybody into it. She played the dutiful girlfriend. And I don't know, to me, like the last half of the movie, especially when it comes to Helen, that's kind of like a portrait of somebody who, who, you know, probably regrets that, you know? And again, I, I, I can't defend that past just me reading between the lines with that character. But she, again, you know, especially in this last rewatch, she is the one that I kind of felt the most for. She is the one that I felt the most battle for because again, and it might go to what we were talking about earlier. To me, she's the one whose dreams seem to be the most dashed out of all mm -hmm. of them, you know, mm -hmm. like, so I don't know. I don't know if that character would have grown an inch, uh, as a person, uh, if she had made it to the end credits, but, uh, but I'd like to think so. Oh yeah. I, I, I mean, she could see the parade going by. She was so close, you know, that, that phrase so close yet so far, she was right there. She was so close to safety, but she stopped and turned around and then the fisherman got the one up on her. Yeah. And it just, it hurts me every time. Like, no, no, just don't stop. Just keep going. Keep going. You can see the people walking by. You'll be safe. So no, I, I, I agree with you there. I, it just hurts me every time I watch that. I always say, and I know it's going to happen, but I keep in my mind, I keep saying, no, don't stop and turn around. Don't do that. Just keep going. You're right there. You, you're so close. And then I think the very next scene we see Julie um, looking for her, like um, she's going and she's weaving in and out of the parade of people looking for her. So she was so close to finding Helen. She could have protected her. She could have saved her, you know, and I, I every time it just hurts every time. I hear but about but about her personally, I'm, I don't think you're reading into it. I, I'm interested now in Missy. I'm going to watch this again after our conversation so this will be <laughs> 150 or whatever we're on just to, to i'm never see, gonna catch you know? up yes you will you can <laughs> you, you can you will you can. well if you do if you do keep an eye out for one more thing for me please okay Okay, so there is a moment in the movie I have never, in all the times that I've seen it, never paid attention to it whatsoever completely flew over my head didn't care about it at all and now it seems to me like it is so pointed and so like there's such an underline to this moment that I wonder if it wasn't meant to set up a subplot that is never paid off or that was cut or if it was meant to set up uh, something in a sequel or if it was just something that the screenwriter Kevin Williamson threw in to make people scratch their heads and wonder about. And if so, like I completely failed him as a viewer because should we not think something of the fact a given you know the kind of how melodramatic you know this movie can be at times you know i love it but still should we not think anything of the fact that ray takes a moment to tell us all about the fact that his dad was a fisherman but he never knew him that is that is chekhov's deadbeat dad right there that is like to me like that is the movie telling us on some level that ben willis is Luke Skywalker's father. Wait, I mean, Ray's father. Like, he... It, to me, I, and every time I watch this movie from here on out, I, I will always think that that's the case. That that Ray is the illegitimate son of Ben Willis. Oh, mind blown. <laughs> that's going to be, be completely silly, but um, in my mind, that's that's totally what that means. I mean, because Kevin doesn't usually have a character say something without there being a purpose behind it or you know there's some usefulness behind it so it's it you're right it does seem kind of odd that he would just say that because julie says oh um i didn't know you knew your dad or or something like that and he says oh no i, I the only thing i know about him is that you know he was a fisherman i never met him so interesting. Maybe that was something they wanted to do. Maybe that's like a setup for the sequel. And then, you know, depending on how the movie performed, you know, they would decide what to do, you know. Um, but then they decided to go with, uh, I still know what you did. I still know what you did last summer's plot of uh, Ben's son, Will, Will Ben's son, Ben's son. <sighs> <laughs> get it so get it Ben's son 
Ben's Ben's son. Son. Ben's son. In my head, I even imagine Timothy Oliphant. Timothy Oliphant from Scream 2 doing that line instead of Billy's mother. You know, instead of my my mind, it should be like Ben's son. Ben's son? (laughs) Just like that. Get it? Ben's son? (laughs) Oh, that movie. Yeah, I think they thought, ha, nailed it. So they thought, okay, (laughs) we can either set up a plot where Ben Willis is Ray's long lost dad, or we can do Ben, get it? Ben's son? (laughs) Well, hey, this way it's brother against brother in the final moments of uh, Estelle. God, I really want that now. It's just (laughs) too late. I need to get Kevin Williamson on the show and be like, hey, look, I want to ask you about this one line. If you could, please tell me. What does that mean? Please, please I need to know. Sir, please. It's a life goal, please. <laughs> you know, we should tweet him. Oh, totally. Yeah, let's just, let's, let's gather everybody we can. Okay, listeners out there, please. When you listen to this, we, we need to start a hashtag. What would the hashtag be? We need to all tweet directly at Kevin Williamson and g- g- give it a hashtag too. Like uh, okay. Ray Benson. Be... Um... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, um... <laughs> oh, no. Um... Oh, yeah. Uh, Ray's... Well, yeah, Ray's dad. Or like Ray's long lost dad. Something kind of like that maybe yeah we're, who, we're gonna figure this out i'm gonna put it out Ray's there daddy? who's ray's daddy <laughs> we, we, <laughs> we need to we need the light up twitter we need to get a hold of kevin williamson we need an answer on this so <laughs> yeah and somehow some way i think we have pretty much reached the end of our time miss jones thank you so much for your time and for choosing such a great movie to chat about now can i ask before we go do you have sure. any Sort of uh, final parting thoughts on I Know What You Did Last Summer. Um, hmm. What are you waiting for? Huh? I'm right here. What are you waiting for? <laughs> I've always wanted to do that. <laughs> that's right. No, hey, that's good. We, you need the music too, like underscored. We'll see if we can do that in post. So <laughs> Yeah, like it's some rain and then the spin and then the arms stretched out. What are you waiting for, huh? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> now, where can folks find you at online? And uh, what can we keep an eye out for from you in the future? Sure. Um, I'm trying to be uh, active on Twitter and Instagram these days. So I'm doing pretty good so far every day. I'm at Miss Tamika Jones, M-I-S-S-T-A-M-I-K-A-J-O-N-E-S. And you can look for where um, uh, I write for Daily Dead. And uh, right now we're doing class of 1980 retrospectives. So check those out. Um, they're really good. I did I did a first watch for, on uh, Motel Hell. Oh, and, nice. Uh, it changed me. It, 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 interestingly enough, it kind of changed my 2020. So <laughs> um Definitely check that out uh, if, if you're looking for a good read. Very cool. All right. Thank you again. Oh, no. Thank you. No, really. Thank you. This was so much fun. All right. And thanks to all you listeners out there. As always, please make certain to like, subscribe, share, and use the comment section below. Give us a yell on Facebook and Twitter. That's at Scream Addicts, and I'm at Jinx1981. Until next time, folks, thanks so much, and have a great weekend. Oh my god, we hit a boat! Where's the fort? <laughs>